0: to the keen yoga podcast bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life we consider this an offering a service to the community and a labor of love if you feel inclined any donations are appreciated just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast i hope you enjoy the show Today's guest on the Kingdom Yoga Podcast is Dina Kingsberg. Dina has been practicing Ashtanga Yoga for over 30 years, since being introduced to the practice in her native Australia by Graham Northfield. She's unique as a practitioner, having completed the four series of Ashtanga, sometimes spending up to eight months in Mysore at a time, over a 10-year period, starting in 1989. She learnt by adding gradually one posture to the next given by Batavi Joyce until, by the time she was 33, her practice took about four and a half hours. Dina's pragmatic, thorough, but deeply heartfelt and also poetic in her style of teaching. She describes herself as a long-term Mysore teacher and has a commitment to the Mysore style teaching and being in the room day in, day out. Furthermore, her approach to the Mysore teaching is comprehensive, starting with sitting first thing on entry, moving to breathing and chanting, then finally into the asana practice. She lives with her husband Jack in the forest outside Byron Bay, Australia, in a stone house, recycled timber, and they built with their own hands over a few decades. Whilst building it, they lived in a tent for six years. She has two grown-up children. Transformation through practice has been her primary focus, and to this end, self inquiry is her primary tool. She embodies a lucidity and radical honesty in person, and has been a seminal guiding figure on many's path to Ashtanga, influencing many well-known teachers, as well as tens of thousands of students.
1: Welcome, Dina, to the Gino Yoga podcast. Lovely to have you today.
2: Thank you, Adam, for inviting me to join you.
1: I'm really pleased to have you. Um, How did you get into yoga, just to start off with the most general question. Give a little bit of your background.
2: Uh, It's difficult to really pinpoint when anything begins, but um, I'm strongly influenced by my father. Not that he was a yoga practitioner, but um, he had a fascination for everything from the East. And he used to travel annually to to Tibet and Nepal, Rajasthan, Bhutan, um, and collect religious artifacts and bring them back to Australia mm. he also just wandered around the Himalayas and just somehow seemed to have a real affinity with India and those other Asian countries mm. and so when I was in my first year of university he passed away I had he had a heart disease and um I didn't really have the opportunity to deal with that whilst I was at school emotionally. So at the end of that first year, I traveled to India and went to study uh, in Bodh Gaya, Tibetan Buddhism. And um, I think whilst there, there was a curiosity developed for yoga, but I didn't really embark upon studies and then when I returned back to Lismore, which is the country town where the university was, I met um, an Ashtanga yoga teacher called Graham Northfield, and he'd recently come back from Mysore, and that's how I was introduced to the practice.
1: Okay. And then I suppose you, so. You you practiced with Graham in in Australia, and then you finally went to Mysore yourself.
2: Yes, I practiced with Graham from about for about a year. Uh, And then he moved away from the area Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and, you know, it was a rough introduction as I think all Mm -hmm. introductions to Ashtanga Yoga are. Like Mm -hmm. my body was in agony. Um, I wasn't sort of a natural to physicality. Right. But there was something about it that was really contagious and um, satisfying or settling. And so... When I finished my university degree I was at a bit of a loss as to which di- direction to go in. Um, mm. I commenced a study. Degree in? My degree was in fine art, I'm a sculptor. Okay. And right. yeah. And and I was thinking of doing a master's in something different. I just wasn't quite sure. Um, so from actually from that point I did a diploma of Chinese medicine. And I was working as a therapist, and that's how I was earning a living. And then I decided to continue my studies and go to Mysore and meet Patubby Joyce.
1: You hadn't come from a background of physicality, you said. So you weren't doing anything particular, because obviously you're known to be having gone through, you know, I think you completed all four series, right? So yeah. how did that, it, spe- you didn't that come That happens slowly.
2: A, yeah. <laughs> no. a dance
1: background. You weren't a dancer or anything like that before? Are
2: you not? I had a little dabble in dancing at university, right. but um, I was of n- not of any quality more, you know. Right. It's yes. a little hick town at the, in the back of nowhere. Um, so, no, I, it, it was slow and steady. I had to work for everything. Um, right. And I, I, didn't, I didn't master things easily. So I think I took, you know, one year on primary, two years on second, three years for third, and four years for fourth. Oh, wow. Um to to get and
1: you're going back and forth to mice all the time.
2: Yes, so in that, yeah. um, so I made that first trip. I think it was in 1989, and right. I I thought it was just going to be a one-off experience. It was um, quite overwhelming and um, super intense,
3: mm. um,
2: but. Yeah, it was almost like oh, I'm going to survive this, and then it'll be done. And then I went back to Australia, and yeah. you know, India. You know, India is just so potent in its sort of sensory fulfillment. Everything mm. smells from you know from sweet to savoury. There's the visuals are just extraordinary. Um, it's just it's just seething with life. So. Uh, for someone who really likes being alone, I was strangely comfortable in India. So on coming back to Australia, I continued to practice on my own. Um, but you know, there's nothing like the support of a classroom. And yeah, I didn't feel like, you know, I felt like a part of me had come a little bit untangled or unhinged. Mm-hmm. And look like, like I had I had commenced something and I just needed to continue on that process until I, you know, maybe had a better understanding of it, and so that started a um, a pattern of being in India, come home, work, raise some money, go back to India, come back, work, you know, um, yeah. until I became had the feeling that I was more comfortable there, and that I I wasn't escaping the real world. I was going to the real world, and mm. uh, yeah, so. I went pretty much every year for about 10 years, between seven or eight months to three months each trip.
1: Do yeah. so you sometimes stay for eight months at a time?
2: Yeah. I, I oh, wow. um, Well, particularly if, um, you know, in those days, in those early days, they didn't really modify by cutting the series. So you had to do all of the one that you knew yeah. plus... Add on all of the the next one, and mm-hmm. you didn't get to split them until you had all of the next one right. so 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 some it's sometimes I just felt like I was never going to get that stamina back. you know, I may have been three or four poses from the end of a series, so I just wanted to you know stay until that was somehow completed, so yeah, for so sometimes a long time, sometimes a shorter time, yeah. Yeah,
1: wow. so you really have spent a lot of time in Mysore.
2: Oh yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. I, I really yeah. love it. I, you know, right. I didn't in the beginning so much, but yeah, in the very beginning, but yeah, now I'm pretty comfortable there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just so to come to mind, what else were you doing? I mean, what else did you do with your days in my school?
2: Well, in the beginning, I tried to do everything, so yeah. I was studying Kannada, I was studying Sanskrit, I was studying singing, I was learning classical flute, and I worked at the orphanage. I volunteered at the orphanage. So everything. And then I just realised how how crazy that was and started to reduce and reduce that back. So, um, yeah, a lot of the time I was just exhausted.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you must agree i mean, yes, practically I mean doing all the series is like that it must have taken you hours
2: About when I was doing third and fourth every day it was about 4 hours to four get hours. through I was slow I'm a, I was a little bit slow Guruji was kind of like you know I was trying to rev me up a little bit but um right. Yeah I used to do a sneaky trip up the stairs in Lakshmi Purim and run my wrists under cold water you know to have a little intermission and just sort of cool down the inflammation during all those arm balances and then right. duck back right down. <laughs> yeah. So, so after right. that, when I, by the time I finished fourth, I'd had enough, really?
3: Yeah. So, mm.
2: Yeah. I needed to stop and mm. sort of settle down. Yeah.
1: What were your experiences like in learning it there? I mean, you know, were you being adjusted strongly as well or? I mean, obviously you were in the old Charlotte, so there's only a few of you there. So you yeah. must have had a lot of focus on you. Um sure. you know, the the adjustments from David Williams onwards, people have said that they were quite strong in the early days. Um so, well, how did you there find was, it?
2: Yeah, I found it I found it um pretty strong at times. I think you um you really had to have a state of mind where you could Um, You you needed to be able to relax into it or otherwise there was the potential for injury. Um, And there were, uh, you know, a couple of times when maybe the adjustments were physically too strong and there were repercussions. But um, my experience was that my body always came back together and then I had a new uh, range of movement of freedom. So right. at the at the end of the day, um, I was able to a- adapt to it and and receive it well. But I wouldn't necessarily. Um, it wasn't something that I necessarily encouraged everybody else to do. I didn't say to all my students, "Hey, you should go to my and and uh, and and work in India." It had to really, I believe, it really had to come from the practitioner that that was their path, that was their calling.
1: Right. So you, right yeah. so you were happy just to have them stay with you you never said well you need to go to the source you know, you know and often teachers say that right you after a year or two you need to go to my source now and you know you didn't do that
2: yeah um no not not no. really Unless they, but if someone said they'd really wanted to go I'd right. say well well you should go of course but it, it needed to come from them you yes. know the whole experience was pretty extreme I'm not going to lie And just because, um, it, just because it ultimately, uh, worked or made me a content, more contented person, uh, I don't know if it's the right path for everybody else. Let's just say that at home, I don't necessarily adjust as intensely as, or quite in the same manner that they do in Mysore.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, neglected to mention so i'm assuming that you got into teaching the yoga quite quickly so when you went to mysore you were coming back each time and you say you're coming back you were you had a charlem byron bay at that time and you were starting
2: uh, no to... no it, it initially i um i was teaching in like local country halls okay and i you know i would drive for half an hour pay the five dollars rent teach the one right. student for five dollars and then right drive 20 minutes to somewhere else and pay the $10 rent and teach the three people oh, of which wow. one or two paid. And So it was slow and steady. I, okay. I, um, I more made my income as a waitress and as a therapist uh, in the early days, certainly. Right. And then um, at some point when I was in, you know, one of the great things about Mysore is the people that you meet there. And you know, I get got to meet a lot of what I guess now are my peers and and long term friends. But on one trip, um, I was there at the same time as Chuck and Marty, and they invited me to Los yeah. Angeles to cover for them. Right. Um, and, right. and that was a real door opener for me. You know, a little girl from the bush. You know, right into the big city. And um, but it was it was so wonderful for my confidence. I realized that I did have a yogic education even though it wasn't formalized as a teacher and then and then also there um at yoga works they had all all different types of yoga so I got Mm, to sort of
3: mm.
2: step in and and broaden my education and my teaching tools and my understanding of how to communicate and so wonderful Mm. experience and then after that you know um I I've I've never not had a full room yeah Mm. Mm. yeah
1: can you say anything else about your early experiences, as or Rob? Um, not yet. No.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what do you think about the tradition? I mean, you obviously you were kind of traditional. Matty, I think at the time, was traditional, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're teaching the traditional method going through the series. Um, yes. I mean, you, you still speak highly about the benefits of tradition or were you, you, yeah. Were you teaching? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I think it's important to um allow even what we consider tradition to be something that evolves. So maybe what I might consider tradition might have been what you know the education of Lakshmi Puram where the room was smaller and the teachings more um intimate small scale um or we might be talking tradition in terms of um the exact or precision of vinyasa. It it depends what it is or we might be talking about tradition in terms of parampara or it depends what it is that you're actually calling tradition right um I, I certainly do teach um the ashtanga vinyasa method with tristana going from one series through to the next i mean i have an education in all four series and so um you know um and i've been a Mysore teacher for over 30 years so i, I sort of feel like um I have those those tools and a memory of those poses, so mm. um, i I like to be able to share that. um I think that there's great um potential in a method that repeats itself. I wouldn't say that Ashtanga yoga is the only method. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the best method, but it's the method that I know. Mm, mm. And I have witnessed it. Um, have such positive effect on people's sense of well-being, on their self-esteem, on their self-empowerment, on their mental and emotional stability. So um, I still find it an incredible healing modality and a very inspiring path. So, yes, I'm traditional in that I would still consider myself an Ashtanga Yoga teacher. Mm. Um, I think the problem with, you know, um, is when what one is considering tradition is dogmatic or rigid. Mm. Um, I,
1: yeah. Yeah. I suppose that the question often leads towards the um, that of when, say, someone's doing Mary Charleston D, D, they're learning this, they can't get the lotus in, you know, in the kind of more pragmatic terms, right? Like, do you just say, oh, don't worry... Cross the leg and carry on with the series, you know, and and or do you say, well, no, you kind of like you know, you know, I mean, tradition I now is it, quite. I don't,
2: I don't use either of those voices. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I don't you. Let's see. I, I'm not in a hurry for everyone to go forward. I right. don't necessarily think. I think there's a kind of this trap of thinking more asana, better yoga. Right. And I kind of think you do the practitioner a disservice to just overfeed them. So I think it's fine to let someone sit for a little while on a difficult pose. But having said that, if they've sat for a while on that difficult pose, then, um, you know, the most important thing or one of the most important things is to keep them practicing.
3: Mm, and so you
2: yeah. you you always want to give them enough to keep them interested, um, challenged, inspired. So I'm not fixed. It kind of depends on the individual, but I see the um, intelligence of both ways. Certainly, right. if someone has a, a limitation or an injury, then certainly, you know, I believe in um, elaboration for the purpose of preparation and modification to support limitation. Do you want me to say that again?
1: yeah no let's say it again i like
2: that elaboration yeah for the purpose of preparation so if you are stuck somewhere okay
3: yeah yeah yeah
2: then we you know i'm not going to leave you there at marichasana for six years i'm going to say okay your hips not opening let's you know let's see what we can do to encourage that yeah so a little elaboration certainly if someone is older and they're at a point of say they want to put their foot behind their head um, you know, why not give it a little extra warmth and openness before? So elaboration for the purpose of preparation. Mm-hmm. I had to do it. I had to sometimes do a little bit of a warm-up here or there in order to get into the deeper poses without hurting myself. Right. And then modification to support limitation. So if, if someone is, is stuck in some direction, then modify the pose to allow them the fluidity to move forward. So a bit of a balance of both um, ideas, I'd say, Adam. Yeah, I see the good in both. Yeah. Go yeah. forward, But don't hurry because where are you going with all that asana collecting? You know, mm. when will it be enough? And I was certainly the victim of that as right. no sure. I finished the fourth series and then so. And then so what? Had I arrived somewhere or had I just begun? Did I need more asana or less in order to evolve? So, yeah.
1: What was your experience of that then? I mean, you did the four series. It took you a long time. I suppose you went yes. through some obstacles and injuries along sure. the way. Yeah? Sure.
3: Right. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, you know, some of the poses, as I said, I, I, I wasn't a natural. My feet didn't like going behind my head. And, you know, as a Well,
1: even there, right? Even the kind of earlier because I'm just thinking like I've done advanced A in my source.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, a lot of it gets of,
1: into advanced B and it starts and yeah. that's when I just thought, you know, enough is enough. I'm I'm kind of not yes. I'm not sure whether I want to kind of try and do this. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. have my reservations yeah. on the on the B. Totally. Series. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think yeah. I th- I think it just, you know, you get a point where um where you where you do have to take stock and mm-hmm. work out and have Sorry, I guess question what you're doing and the effect that it's having on you. And what I, I needed, not more. I needed to refine what I was doing and 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 not be always kind of like, it's like I was battling myself up a hill. And then there was a lovely plateau on the hill, in which I'm sure that there was some possibility of divinity there, but I was never able to sit there long enough because you know I was always working, um. Kind of at my limit,
1: Mm. so
2: once once I finished fourth, I thought um, I just wanted to settle and integrate it, and it wasn't long after that that I ended up starting a family.
1: Right. Okay. So you did all that before you had kids.
2: All that before.
1: Right. I was going to say because I was thinking, you know, kind of you you know, leading up to this interview. Yeah, well, had you done all that before? Because after that, surely everything changes, right? And and Oof, can
2: you maintain nope. that? I mean, I mean, yes. I can, only um, uh, can you maintain it? I can't mm, say mm. if I maintained all of those series, you know. But I mean, my firstborn is twenty years old now, so. Mm. Um, but it also stopped being the priority. I mm. always practiced. Uh, I practiced, you know. Right through the pregnancies, and um, and I practiced even with two young children religiously because I figured when you have young children, you're going to be really tired, so why not be really tired having done your practice rather than really tired not having done your practice? So, <laughs> so uh, fortunately, I had great support in Jack and um kind of cheeky to say but I felt like I had my cake and got to eat it too so to speak you No, know, so but um, I'm no longer maintaining all four series
1: that's good to hear probably I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how old you are but it sounds really
2: yeah of a
1: realistic taste really isn't it so yeah, yeah I mean but you did continue after so after I mean for particularly for women out there, you know, and there's no road, you know, there's no roadmap is there. And it is a huge mm. change in the body, obviously. And yes. you kind of, you will be good just to know how that went for you. Like did you keep yeah. on the four series for how long, you know? Uh,
2: well, after Zoli was born, my firstborn, born, um, mm. I really felt like I had lost any concept of bunda, and that my body, you know, my body was foreign to me. I mean, I didn't really eat much during those first ten years of practice, no, but yeah, in order to get pregnant, I really had to get some meat on my body, and then i just i really enjoyed that, and you know mm. c- celebrated i wanted to I wanted her to be fully nourished um and then it took me quite a while to get back. I remember um Guruji was on his way to Australia, and Eileen Hall had asked if Graham Northfield and myself would join her in a in a demonstration. Uh, I can't remember exactly what we were celebrating, but Guruji would sit there, and we would practice, and right. um, and I kind of used that as a okay, you know, you can do this, Mama, and I, you know, I got my practice back, and and wow. oh, but there was a certain amount of uh, ego in that. And then when um, Isaac was born, and actually I was actually pregnant with Isaac during that demonstration, I just didn't know at the time. And then, uh, you know, I just thought it would be as it would be. And um, I practice as if I am hopeful that one day I will be able to do everything. But the nature of, you know, ageing. And being, um, you know, I'm a I'm a very hands-on mysore style teacher. Um, I think I'm a really long a long-term Mysore style teacher. I think most mysore teachers have a certain use-by date, and then they they stop and they just do workshops or conduct. Okay, or, right, or, right. Yeah, right. But, but you
1: like the mysore.. Yeah.
2: Mice or, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like to. It feels like honest work to me. Right. And, um, um and but I think that that really affects your vehicle.
3: Right.
2: Yeah, because you're you're doing all of this mm, mm, work with your, you know, with your whole body, and then mm, mm, your your practice is stiffer. Like it's when I take a little break from teaching, which I do every year, at least I have one month of um, when I'm alone and silent, mm, and and then my practice is much more liberated, without that extra work.
3: Mm,
2: yeah. You know? mm. But I remember um, asking at a conference, I think it was Sharat's conference. You know, how do you go? about reducing and he just said something like um, uh, only something about being lazy and I thought I don't think he knows who he's I don't think he could see me from the back of the room because I'm definitely not lazy Um, but at another conference that question was asked and um, I'm not sure if it was Mondu or David Swinson, said something like, you don't have to worry about reducing. Reducing yeah. happens all by <laughs> yeah. itself. And That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So that, <laughs> you just you do what you can. Yeah. I celebrate what I can. I don't worry about what I can't. Yeah.
1: So when you talk about having ego in the practice, has that, has that gone now? Because it didn't, because completing the series is that you were, you know. Yeah. You did, which is. It's quite incredible. You still had the ego there for the practice. It didn't burn it out of you. So when did that, or did that start to dissipate the ego with the practice or how how is that How is that now? You're not looking to kind of get more postures or do you know what I mean? Like uh, where's the practice I'm, going for you now with it?
3: Well, let me see.
2: Um, I think I, I would like to think that I don't need Fancy asana to feel good about myself or to have mm. the respect of my peers so i'm I'm just i'm comfortable yeah with with whatever is and um so i I don't know does that mean that ego's gone out of it or i don't know i I would still like to be respected by my peers, so I don't know if that's ego driven or just mm. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs>
1: it, do what about um be I mean, do you notice any difference about being a woman in practice? Or I mean that's kind of a funny question to ask, but Yes. i d mean,
2: I, I don't remember the last time I was a man, so it's difficult to <laughs> to make the comparison. Um I think that the practice is difficult for everyone, for women and for men. Um, but i must say that uh, i am i really admire the grace of the male practitioner and i really admire the strength of the female practitioners nice.
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: but we all have our obstacles and you know you have to come to the practices who you are with whatever gender you are and whatever body you have and whatever temperament or samskaras you have you you just come as yourself it doesn't really matter whether it's harder or easier for somebody else it's of no consequence to your path mm, so mm. yeah I, I've kind of always liked being a woman
1: right
2: yeah
1: <laughs> I don't know I haven't I remember seeing one picture of you with a um which I loved which uh, you're lying down on a lake doing Kashyapasana. you know that one um yes yeah, I've always loved that posture um and then your you. picture of that um but how was the, I mean, how was the arm that I hadn't seen you in the arm, but how did you find the struggle Or, you know, what, what was your biggest obstacle in the practice for you? Um, you know, maybe in the most obvious way.
2: I, I know the pose that caused me the most um, stress was buddhasana. Yeah. And that's right. a, Yeah, that deep, mm. deep foot behind the head mm. with the arm rotation mm. in fourth.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, that's the one that I I had the strongest response from physically, so I went right. into it with ease. But then, and I came out of it with ease, and then I right. lay down for a couple of weeks and couldn't, couldn't really get up again.
1: So the, you know, you're not the first person to say that about that posture. Yes,
2: yes. I, mean, I
1: don't know where you've heard that a lot, but I remember Darby uh, telling me years huh. ago that yeah, that he he did it. And this is you know, Darby started again when he was you know kind of older, right? Like, um so he was like, huh. I think he's. Fifty when he was doing it in my saw, yeah. and then wow. I think he got adjusted it w- by Sharatji in the posture, um, and then he, fl- he was fine. He was fine, and then he yeah. flew that day to to gone on the plane to fly to teach a workshop. And by the time he said he got off the plane, he said he could he hardly move. walk again. <gasps> yeah, he couldn't move. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I do I, I do that think story. it was yeah. Uh, it was yeah. common because, because um, you know? the other people, you know, that because there were quite a lot of senior practitioners. You know, I, I wasn't. You know, at the time when I was practicing, there were a lot of people working through certainly third and a few working through f- fourth. It was, but there were definitely people who were doing the real, you know, the nodding empathy. They really, because I think everyone found that a bit of a milestone. Who had who had navigated past it? So, yeah, I don't do that anymore. That
3: pose,
1: <laughs>
2: right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, do do you do you now? What's your practice look like now? Do you skip postures or do you do the sequences up to the places you can do? or You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: well, I play with it a little bit. Right now, my pro- practice is a little effective because we had a car accident a couple of years ago. Jack, myself, and my youngest child, Isaac, we got hit and the car rolled a few times. And oh. though, um, yeah, there was no blood and guts. They they did mm. ride off my car. But um but I just I've, uh, i have a limited use of, of my left hip for the last couple of years, but I've been um, working with it really therapeutically and I'm just back in Lotus now after two years. And um, oh. so, um, so I have a lot of freedom in some directions and a lot of limitations in other directions. So basically I do what I can do, but I continue to work what I can't do. And that's probably the principle behind how I work with my students as well. That you know what you can do, you can do. It's kind of what you can't do that makes you interesting. It's what you—it's where you're limited—that the work really needs to happen. Not not necessarily in going to the most extreme of your natural gifts, but looking to where your body's not functioning, where you're blocked, mm. where you're. Week, where you're fragile or vulnerable, and then just balancing all of that out. Mm. So, yeah, I'm still practicing first and second, uh, a few poses from third, a few poses from fourth, but it's more like a you know it's more like a pleasure adventure each day than a um a commitment for it to look a certain way, yeah
1: and when you, when one's limited in in a certain posture. Do you find that, I mean, you do other work outside the practice. It's not just physical. You came from the background having done Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, You're Mm. doing Vipassana retreats now? What's the uh, meditation you're doing? Well, the
2: the meditation that I teach with my students and I practice is not, am am I doing Vipassana retreats as informal Vipassana retreats? Like going with a group somewhere? No. Oh, no, everything in solitude, like completely in solitude. I don't want to be with a gang of people doing their thing. I want to
3: be
2: isolated, so no. Um, When I teach, um, uh, so I teach in a particular format. I teach in one-month intensives. I don't have any drop-in, drop-out students. So I I always know who I'm working with. Some people have been in those intensives every one of them for the last twenty years. Um, so um, I, I I kind of I know my students, mm. and then we start every morning with uh, forty five minutes of seated practice before moving into martial style. So wow. I try to like forty five minutes. A young. Well, we we do a, a few different that things. me when I was young. <laughs> well, they're not so none of us are so young anymore, so it's okay. <laughs>
1: no, I might uh-huh. I might I'll just stay there now. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Um, but you know, we build into with with sort of small pieces of different methods to just kind of help to support a more holistic approach to the practice.
1: Hmm. So you I mean obviously you recommend that. I mean, let's a I've only got a certain stock of generalized questions really. <laughs> Yeah. Outside okay. general chat that we have on the podcast, but you know, I mean, one one you know question I always ask is, do you recommend practices outside the physical? Do we need to do you know yeah. because yeah. there's this idea that oh, all you need to do is the physical that um, that's enough. That is the kind of synchronization yeah. of all Patanjali's eight limbs, and you know, yes. it's the meditation yes. and everything together. It, do you find it so, or do you need um, to do it outside?
2: Yeah, I yeah. think in some practitioners. You know, I witness some very advanced practitioners, but when I'm watching them practice, it feels like they're having an argument with themselves.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. And then
2: I witness other practitioners, and it feels like they're in deep prayer. So maybe for some, it's all-encompassing, and that works, but maybe for others, just a little extra care to all of the components of yoga, I don't see how it can hurt. Mm. So each morning we start with, um, you know, setting up a stable seat, then self-inquiry, followed by dharana, fixing the attention to the breath and the vipassana style. And then we segue from there to like preliminary pranayamas to invigorate and enhance the lung capacity. And then from there into a formal pranayama, and then Brahmani Pranayama to introduce a sound vibration to the practice, and then another moment of stillness, just kind of feeling into the the consequence of all that's gone before, and then chanting, and then the chanting kind of segues into a short discussion, um, a little perhaps a little potentially in philosophy, um, just so that they have taste, I think. When someone's been practising for a long time and they plateau physically, mm. it's really good to have that reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. Without it, I think there's a risk of people thinking that, uh, you know, practising asana for the sake of asana rather than for the sake of transformation or connectivity. With philosophy, then we understand that it's you know, that we're working the body as a tool to access the mind and that whatever you think is going to affect you, it's going to affect how you speak, what you say, and what mm-hmm. you say is going to affect your relationship with someone else. And your relationship with someone else is going to be what fills up your day and mm-hmm. then those days become your life. So mm-hmm. I by interacting or having some understanding of the nature of the cyclical, compulsive, you know, verbal activity of the mind and um, being able to steady that or separate from that or disidentify from that or even be selective about how we respond to our thinking process, all of those are going to help to lead us to a more uh, equanimous state of being. And I think that's the point of practicing yoga, don't you?
1: Yes, course <laughs> I think, as we were talking before, you could easily, after a number of years, though, in the practice, get um, kind of sidelined down the cold attack of just physicality because the linear series is tend to beg that question, don't they? They they can kind of you you know I got into it very much um from a philosophical background uh, yes. as a self-inquiry tool and then after you know I got into it when I was like luckily or unluckily <laughs> when I was 19 and um yeah you know and so I was young and I'd come from martial arts and so I was quite good at it quite quickly you know and then obviously I needed that for my own self-esteem at the time you know so I took that on hook line and sinker you know and then for a number of years I really felt that I was less doing yoga, less for the original reasons of yoga than I started with. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, uh, mm. you know, I started with this really honest and true intention towards self-inquiry, and before I knew it, I had got into just the gymnastic practice for the sake of feeling yes. good or feeling yeah. More, uh yeah, stronger self-esteem, but yeah.
2: I think that that that, um, that there are different stages for practitioners within the yoga, and like... Particularly in the Ashtanga yoga, I think the first stage is you—you just want to survive it, really, and then Mm. somewhere after that you start to sort of celebrate this physicality and—and—and why not, yeah, and then. Uh, then you hit some obstacles. And I think the obstacles are really, really important because then, you know, it's it's how you deal with those obstacles. How do you feel about being stuck? How do you feel about being limited? How do you feel about the pain in the body? Are you frustrated with your knee injury? Are you frustrated with your lack of progress? And that's, you know, that's when the real work of yoga kind of begins, when when you're having that wrestle with your own internal dialogue And, you know, the yoga keeps putting us or continues to put us in really awkward and somewhat uncomfortable situations. You know, if a pose is easy, don't worry. There's a harder one around the corner that you're going to need to deal with, that you're going to need to struggle with. And then in finding grace and ease in what was a really uncomfortable posture, then when situations in your life are equally as uncomfortable or awkward, you know that you don't have to contract. You know that you can work your way through it so long as you're non-reactive and patient. And so all all of that asana practice, I think it can't help but invite you to start to evolve, even if it's reluctantly. Mm. So no matter how invested we are in in fine asana practice, um, sooner or later, the other things are going to kick in but you know in 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 my experience in 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 india i learned the pranayama with the joy so it wasn't just asana mm. and there were really regular conference where it was you know quite an inter, intimate group so we were you know we were getting planted with seeds of of philosophy and
3: um right
2: yeah
1: so you talk a lot about transformation and I've read a number of interviews and you, you know, this is a, you know, it's definitely a, a topic which, you know, it comes up again and again. And I, and I read one this morning where you talk about, I don't know, like something like in a moving body of water will, will smooth, even the hardest of rocks
2: huh.
1: as I like light, because obviously you've got the water, but also the moving nature of it,
2: the fluidity, yes. right? Yes.
1: Um, What's the process of transformation in your life? You started it when you were quite young, really quite young, uh, at university, um, and you're now uh, thirty years down the road or something. Well,
2: how's that? I'm fifty. I'm fifty-six now, Adam.
1: Right. Okay. Oh, obviously, I've never asked, but go ahead. <laughs> That's um. okay.
2: I'm not <laughs> uncomfortable about my age or aging. Right. Um, okay. What can I? I can say that, um, as I said um, in my early practices prior to Ashtanga Yoga, I was studying tibetan buddhism and um i did find that maybe the visualization practices were a little sophisticated for my mental state at the time and so in a way it was kind of a relief to drop that i mean i was more comfortable with the repetition of the prostration practices and then they kind of segued into surya Namaskarabi. so somehow Mm -hmm. it felt like a really natural transition um but I would say that for a good part of the first 10 years of practicing, I felt like I was a little lost and out at sea. And um didn't really have an understanding of what, how, or why of any of it really. But I did have faith. I did have Shraddha, this um, I could, I had glimpses of steadiness and I could see subtle evolution in my um, self-confidence and my self-worth. And what can I say now, Mm. and I like to think it's a consequence of being a dedicated practitioner, I'm pretty content. There isn't much that I want to change about my my world or my life. life yeah i feel I feel pretty i mean you can you can rely on me if I said I was going to be there, I'll be there if you need to lean on me, I won't crumble. Um, so i'm not i don't know whether I'm any closer to being connected to the divine or enlightened but um i'm I feel pretty solid, and that feels good mm. yeah yeah I have a purposeful Life. I have healthy relationships. I have good friends. Uh, I'm not really wanting for anything, and I'm not suffering. So, I think that's something of value. perhaps that's a transformation. A process,
1: like in, in the early years, when you said you're out out at sea, was that? Yeah. I mean, you just weren't sure what were you really doing, but you knew that there's something <laughs> there, or did you? You know what I mean? Or, or did you really feel like? Yeah, I remember uh, stories with. I think Tim Miller told me he used to go upstairs, you know, to do his clothing, you know, and just feel like he'd yep. been torn open, you know, and he's he just, just crying and, and very raw feeling. And you know, did you, did you go yes. through that or uh, right?
2: Yeah, I, I I think that um, you know, you you start off with this really strong identity with who you think you are, and and that's fine if who you think you are is making you happy or you're contented with that. But if there's parts of who you, who you think you are that you're, you're uncomfortable with, then something needs to shift. And I think that the yoga is like a really heavy duty therapy. I, I do think, you know, uh, one metaphor that I've used in the past is that, you know, I came in like a tight ball of knotted string. And, you know, the yoga on a daily basis would just sort of slowly, slowly loosen that string. And 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 unravel it, and then, you know, with more and more time, you know, I got to lay it all flat and have a look at it, and then somewhere after that, I started to weave a net like the base of a trampoline, and then it's with that net that I can I can hold, I can hold you if you need to sit in or rest in that, and so that's um, that's kind of how I feel like my my journey has been. I don't feel like a messy knotted ball of string.
1: Yeah. it seems like you must I mean you say you, you know you're kind of a long-term Mysore teacher and it, you, you're working with people more than just in the arsmas like you you, I kind of only envisage from what you're saying that you really have personal relationships with each and every student that you have right mm-hmm. the, yeah That's the yeah case
2: well I don't I don't not I don't befriend them you know we don't we don't go and have a cup of tea
1: Right, okay, okay. You don't yeah.
2: right, Right. Uh, you know, one or two. Yeah, one, yeah. Or, one one or two, but I think a little separation is is really important. Yeah. And I think also it's important to add that a part of that holistic approach that I offer my students and this long time in the Shala every morning, it's because I get to be a part of it. So when they're sitting every morning, I'm sitting every morning. And when they're breathing every morning, I'm breathing every morning, and when they're chanting, I'm chanting. when they're meditating, I'm meditating. so it's kind of like a little it's a little bonus, and it just allows us all to settle and gives me a, um an opportunity to teach from within a yogic state rather than like them and me. It's so like we're we're you know kind of sort of brings us a little together mm. yeah, yeah. We I also your- do like conducted classes on the every Sunday and Friday. and on Friday we do like a traditional counter class. and on Sunday we either do a really technical class or we do a playful class where we step away from the from the traditional series in order to have that freedom to explore in a way. And that gives me the opportunity to you know to take it out of the rhythm of the vinyasa or to. Um, You know, show modifications and things like that. So in that respect, I would say, you know, maybe I'm not the most traditional teacher, but my hope is to get to a traditional end.
1: What's the end?
2: (laughs) What's the end? Mm. You know, like. um, You mentioned before.
1: before you, you know that you don't think you've got the full connection to the divine yet. I mean, is that yeah. very much part of your practice? I mean, is is that where you, you know, not everyone is looking for the divine? Yeah. Let's say, or there maybe they. Huh. I would say that they are, but maybe yeah. everyone kind of verbalizes it to themselves, right? And, yes.
2: yes. um as a well. I, I think that it might be important now if, to kind of clarify um, what that feels like for me divinity Mm -hmm. and um you know i'm a a big lover of nature i live in the forest a long Mm -hmm. way from civilization and um what i feel is that all of the wisdom we're seeking through the practice of yoga is expressed and evident in nature and that Everything in nature has its own vibration. And my hope is to eliminate from myself everything that has affected me from being my most natural self. And I believe that the yogic practices really helped to do that, help you just sort through what parts of your thinking and personality, you know, maybe best just dropped or let go of. They might be thoughts that are outdated. They might be thoughts that were uh, instilled by somebody else or imposed by somebody else. Um, and so my hope is to kind of become, you know, shunya, empty, uh, nothing, and sort of expose like the most uh, innermost, Natural, unaffected vibration so that I can be harmonious, firstly with myself and harmonious with the nature around me and then kind of experience that interconnectedness. And yeah, I think it's really tangible. It's not that connectivity is not over, doesn't have to be over there. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to equate with samadhi or enlightenment. I think connected connectivity to divinity is possible for anyone, anytime. They just have to like reside there. You know, I really love that first sutra of the second chapter, Tapaha Swadhyaya Ishwara Pranidhanani Kriya Yoga, because, you know, we do the tapas, we sweat it out on the mat with our discipline and our purification. And then Swadhyaya, you know, have a look at who you are and take responsibility for the part that you play in your own reality. And also, repetition of mantra is another way of really getting to know yourself. And then Ishwara Panidhanani, like, you know, abiding in the divine, just at, sitting in that, in that part of yourself and, and being open to that possibility, inviting it in. So, those three elements constitute Kriya Yoga, the cleansing or the work or the, mm. you know, the process that has to be done. So I, I don't know how anyone could be confused that it it doesn't need all of that stuff. Yeah, that you know, that the asana was never supposed to be isolated as no. just asana. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it an eight limb path? Ashloangani, yamani yama asana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi. Why? Maybe we've got a we're, we've got a better chance if we if we integrate a little bit of all of it. That's kind of my feeling.
1: I suppose that maybe the confusion was started with the kind of the sound bites of 99% practice and, you know, just do your yeah. practice kind of, you know, but maybe that's not yeah. how you found the time Joy speaking originally. I don't yeah, know.
2: no, I, I think that what he was trying to say is that, you know, you can read all of you want and you can talk about yoga as much as you want, but if you don't get on the mat in some form or another, Nothing's really going to shift, so that's the point behind it you You really have to participate in yoga. A lot of people do yoga babble, but they don't actually practice anything mm. or they've got they seem to have a hundred reasons why they don't need to do it today either you either you're sincerely doing it or, or you're excusing yourself for it. Um, but did I experience i think I think what he's saying when he's saying. Uh, do your practices and all is coming that there will come there will come a moment there will come a moment when you become inquisitive there will come a moment when your mind settles and meditation just seems like a pleasure that 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 it will all come as it as it's ready right so Mm -hmm. that's my that's my feeling and I think it's it's fine if it's not there from the very beginning this curiosity for philosophy I remember the first time I picked up a tantaliyo sutras I thought "Huh, nice and just you know put it back down again and thought you know that's just that's just way over my head I mean I I wasn't really even interested in equilibrium you know I'm a as I said I'm a I'm an artist. I I was young and feisty. Mm -mm, I I wanted drama and passion and, you know, Mm. I wanted wanted to live and, you know, change the world and, you know, equanimity and that whole kind of Buddhist philosophy of of being Zen. I I wasn't ready for that then. Yeah. So Mm. maybe it's going to come. Yeah, do your practice and maybe those desires for something more subtle will come because you're ready for them. You can't just have subtlety and refined practice because you want it. You have to work towards it. That's my understanding anyway, or my experience, you know. Like you can have two practitioners that are both sitting perfectly still in padmasana, both of them looking like they're meditating, and one person is in heaven and the other one is in hell. And that's because one person is ready, and stillness is available to them, and the other person's just hoping it will end as soon as possible, so they can entertain the mind or distract themselves mm. they're just not ripe yet, so yeah, I think it's really important to just let people be at whatever point they are within the mm. process and, and yeah it'll it'll evolve if if that's their path and their desire, yeah. I've, I trust in
1: that Well, how would you clarify your? Te- how would you clarify your teaching method like if you could qualify it if you could yeah you know uh, how what is you know you strike me i mean I've never ever practised with you, which is unusual because I've been around a while now, <laughs> um, you know, but you're a long ways away from London where I'm from, um yes, you know. Wow, but really, you're very unique. Um, how would you qualify? How you know, like, if you uh, make you, why are you unique? Why? What would you say? Why
2: am I unique? unique? Wow. Yeah.
1: What, what, uh, yeah.
2: Um, I think I'm going to go with what I thought you were asking before. The why am I unique? Yeah. And which was how would I, how would I qualify my teaching? Yeah. And I'm going to go. Because I remember when you first asked me to um, join you for the podcast, mm. I was well, sometime after that, actually, I listened to your introduction and you quoted the sutra, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it says it is only when a correct method is practiced for a long time, a long time without interruption, and with Satkara, Satkara, you know, is that that sweet place from the heart with that devotional sense that it then has the possibility to succeed. So I feel like in order to get, you know, I feel like yoga is a bit like a mango tree or an avocado tree or an asparagus plant. You know, you don't get the fruit straight away. It takes some years before you really get to the sweetness of it. And so... The premise behind the way that I teach is longevity. I really want to encourage people to be able to continue to practice Mm. either with support or on their own for a long time so that they can go through those stages and then have that opportunity to taste that sweet fruit. So, yeah, yeah, I'm not really a pusher and a shover.
3: Right. In terms of, Mm.
2: you know, you've got to get there and, whoa, Mm. you know, <laughs> um I'm probably a little bit more um measured and careful in my approach to teaching. I have students of all ages, some some extraordinary people who come to it late, who are just, you know, working their way through third. And I teach quite a few people, not quite a few people, but I teach people fourth because they come, you know. I, I have a very
1: that, yeah. how many people yeah. are you teaching that to? Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, uh, only the ones that are really ready yeah and, um yeah and and I, and i really mean really ready not just you know have physical prowess but a, mm. you know like mature in their relationship with their practice and respect for their vehicle and their environment and their temperament's not sort of driven um so yeah i guess that's i'd like to say that i'm really holistic as well i would i would like someone else to describe me like that you know, Dina's approach is really holistic. I'd
1: say um, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> haven't been yet. Um, no,
1: no, from what you've said. Um, yeah. <laughs> how, I, I think that was another question I had is, is how would you give you any advice for maintaining a practice over a long period? Because that's the idea, isn't it? You know, yeah. like. You yeah. don't understand really what you're doing, like until there's many years down the line, but you're in a kind of loop because you need to kind of taste the fruit in a way to know the benefit of practice. Yeah. So how do you keep well, up a longer time? Yeah.
2: You know? I, I do think that there's a little fruit even from the beginning. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do think that there's a little apparent sweetness. mm. Almost, almost immediately it does start to affect you and not just, you know, your body feeling good or you feeling good about your body. I think, you know, you become awake. For example, if I, for whatever reason, can't practice for two days in a row, I feel like I'm hungover. I feel like I'm flat. And so, you know, practicing daily sort of it, it keeps me sh- sort of sharp and awake and um, present And I I really hate not to have that. So I feel, I feel daily, um, invigorated through practice. Um, how do I encourage people to continue? I, I would like to think that me being in a good space, um, and me being consistent is a good example. I sometimes say, well, you brush your teeth every day Mm. because you know the consequence of not brushing them. And I think practicing yoga is like, you know, it's a mental and physical hygiene. Why Why would you think not to do it? Why would that make sense not to have something? I'm not saying it has to be Ashtanga Vinyasa yoga. I just think it's really good to have something. I mean, I swim religiously every day as much as I not for as long as I practice each day, but I'm in the water every day Mm. because that's a form of, um, you know, meditation of movement, of of regulated pranayama, of, yeah. So I think it's really important that people have something Um, and just to do what they can. One of the concerns Mm. with all those rules and regulations and limitations about you know how it must be
3: yeah yeah
2: I I don't really I don't really worry about what someone else has decided about how it must be I'm, I'm just going to go with uh you know how does it work how is this going to work for you so that you can come to the mat tomorrow mm. how is this going to work for you so that you uh feel inspired by it
1: yeah and you want and- to come to the mat right
2: yeah. And you want to come to the mat, yeah. so mm. I'm not really caught up in um, in what someone else says it should be like. I'm just going to trust that it's kind of it's it's individual. I don't think people should be like me. I was extreme. I got away with it, you know. My body is well. I navigated two children without having a cycle for a good decade, you know. Um, I have a successful relationship despite wanting to live in a cave. You know, I got away with it. I got away with it, but I I don't necessarily think that such an extreme approach is is necessary for everybody. Really, you just want to get yourself in a good space. So to make the practice work in such a way that that's a possibility, and people fall in love with it, and then and then they'll want to do it. Yeah, or they won't. They will want to do something else, and that's good too. I've got no agenda. I'm not one of these people who thinks the whole world needs to do a stronger yoga.
3: Mm.
2: I think you should do whatever you want, just <laughs> so, so long as it serves you and makes mm. you feel good. Yeah. this just makes me feel good. I like it. Yeah. Mm. I like it. And, and my husband does it. He likes yeah. it. That makes it easier. <laughs> and my poor kids, you know, I took them to India um, for they every second to do with of that. their life. <laughs> No, uh, no, that's not true. They practice with. They with. Okay. I mean, Isaac did full primary series with David Swinson when he was about eight, right? And uh, and they've been. Um, they've worked with uh, Saraswati quite a number of times in Mysore, um, and they dabble a little bit. But you know, I, I don't feel a need for them to be yogis. I just want them to be happy, and mm. they seem they seem pretty good. But they they know it. You know, they know it. They could both teach a full prime. They've heard it. They've they've been in the room. They were in the yeah. room. Zoli was in the room at three weeks. I was breastfeeding her during pranayama. You know, um, so they're they're accustomed. They've been to Purple Valley. I don't know how many times, but and Mysore maybe ten times. Yeah, I don't even know what the question was at the beginning of this, Adam.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've kind of lost it. I think wanting to get on the mat or or, or not need, you know, and kind of, yeah. you know, doing something that makes you feel good. Um, mm-hmm. So we've kind of come to the end now. I mean, what else do you do with your time? Like just to give people an idea of how you live your life, you know, like you swim, you know, yeah. you're, you're teaching many hours. I mean, uh, you, you know, there's not a lot that'll tie you out. I mean, you're really committed to a full-scale teaching program there. In the.
2: Um, uh, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm sort of like fit for it, I guess. Sometimes I get tired. Sure. Um, we live, you know, we live in the in the wild, and it, you know, it constantly needs taming. Um, I showed you a little bit of the house before we started, and uh, yeah. they still we're still both working on that. So um, so I I work with the rocks still. That brings me a lot of pleasure. Um, let's see. Yeah, I love to swim i um I chant, I have a new harmonium, like to play um i don't, we we spend a lot of time traveling I mean, I feel like my life's really busy what else i um I have studied um to be support when people are dying, so okay. I work with people who are who are on the way out or who have gone who and, and help with that transition by making ceremony with the body and preparing it for cremation or things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I have a pretty full um, and inspiring life. I've got two it, kids. Yes. That, what can I say? Anyone who has children has no time. So I'm busy. Yeah, i mean, I got to cook always, and clean yeah, the clothes. I
1: was clothes. Say, I, always, I always ask, um, do you, are uh, you into food? Do you cook? What well, I mean, people always yeah. want to know what yeah. uh, you know, about we, diet you know like what yeah. is, do you have any idea um, well, how well, how
2: do you eat? are you a vegetarian? No. Yeah, vegetarian yeah vegetarian i i eat mostly fruit um <laughs> yeah a lot but right. i would say probably too much um but and one of the ways that we facilitate that is that every year we travel and we go to where the fruit is so we just pretty much live in in summer seasons and don't really have the winter so most of the year we have access to wonderful fruits. Um, I eat not really until midday, and that's when I have fruit, which is probably okay for an okay time to digest it. And then since I've been a family person, we always sit down together for dinner, and everybody in my family cooks, or all all four are really competent in the kitchen, and, you know, we grow things in the garden to eat um but i have two rules about food that may or may not be helpful for other people i only eat things that are either really good for me or really delicious and if they don't feel if they don't fall into that category i don't bother yeah don't right like yeah but we we i mean we eat as a form of celebration i mean yeah
1: and the last thing, uh, I always ask about the guilty pleasure. I took it off, but I always put it back in now because people like it. Do you have any particular special pleasure with the food or anything else that you like to do?
2: You mean like, am I guilty about it?
1: Well, no, we just not call it guilty. but it's, just, it's just a little. What
2: right, do I pleasure it? in?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah?
2: Yeah. Oh, I have to say, I pleasure in my life, Adam. And sometimes I am a little guilty about how how sweet it right. is, especially in the light of, you know, the struggle that other mm. people have. I mean, even right now in Australia, we have all very minimal restriction. I mean, we can't go anywhere. The Australian border is completely yeah, closed. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: yeah, but, um, but apart from desperate
1: that. desperate to get out and travel.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not desperate to do anything.
1: Um, no, I'm quite i I'm stuck in front yeah. quite enjoying
2: it. I, you're quite enjoying yeah. it, so oh yeah, so i uh, yeah, i pleasure i pleasure in my life, as i said i I love to swim, I love to garden, I pleasure in my family, I have a gorgeous husband and, and two you know quite charming children and um yeah,
1: I'm reluctant to get off this interview, so I'm gonna ask you one more thing um okay, what about a, a, advice to your younger self
2: huh i I would say. To maybe two things. Um, Firstly, that it's going to be all right. And secondly, I would probably encourage myself to have spent more quality time with my parents because you can't get them back when they're gone. That's probably it, Adam.
1: It was a wonderful interview. And I think, yeah, I I really really think it was i've always touched when i speak to people because it's very intimate you know and sometimes more intimate because we have this little two box situation and it's so so direct you know yes and it's 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 wonderfully touching um i'm really yeah yeah thank you you. bless Mm.
2: you thank Mm. you adam